let's get into God's word this morning. We're going to roll right into it because God's at work. He's doing something here today and I want to keep seeing what he's doing. So grab your Bible, turn it to John chapter 16, verse four. John 16, four is where we are going. And I will make no other fancy introduction to this other than to say we've been going through this whole gospel of John verse by verse. We're in this critically important section in John chapter 16. Jesus is, it's the night before he's gonna go to the cross. He's with his disciples. He's given it to them with both barrels, stuff they absolutely need to know, stuff we absolutely need to know. So let's pick this up and read it. John 16, four. Do me a favor, would you stand with me while we read this? We'll do that today. Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he says to them, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into how much truth? all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you you guys can be seated or as they say on red green sit down (laughs) sit down I love you guys. Okay, so in that section of scripture, we're going somewhere with that. There's a particular thing, a particular person we're gonna talk about in that. But before we get there, I wanna start with some theology. Somebody say theology. Theology. That's a fancy word that means the study of God. It means ultimately what you believe about God. That's theology. And in this section of scripture that we just read, There's a whole bunch of just foundational, fundamental, super important building blocks of our faith that are right in there. So if you've hung around in the church long enough, you'll have heard all of these. However, let's just go over them and let our souls be grounded and rooted in these things, okay? We're gonna have a refresher on these things just for our benefit. Sound good? Great. So here's some theology to start. First of all, we have one God. How many gods do we have? one God, and he exists in three parts. Only one God, but three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And all three parts of the Godhead, or the Trinity, you might have heard it called, they are present and visible and noticeable in that section of Scripture we just read. And anytime you see the whole Trinity making an appearance, you kind of want to take note of that in your mind. The Father is mentioned in verse 10 and verse 15. Jesus, the son, obviously is the one who's speaking. Matter of fact, if you have like the red letter Bible, you'd see that this whole section is red, that the whole thing is Jesus speaking. And the spirit is also mentioned in here, verse seven and verse 13. And they're all mentioned in verse 15. I wanna just read this to you because it's cool. Jesus says, all that the father has is mine, Jesus's. 
Therefore, I said that he, the spirit, will take what is mine, Jesus's, and declare it to you. So you see that? They're all present there. So first thing we've got to just make note of is that our God is a relational God. You can see it there. You can see it in different parts of the scripture. God is relational, first with himself, the, the, the parts of the Godhead, but he also wants to be relational with us. How many of you know God wants a relationship with you? This is not just a metaphor or church speak. God wants a literal, real, life-giving, life-changing relationship with you. That is the truth. God is also at work in the world. He's not just some distant couch potato or some myth or he doesn't do anything and we just have like, I don't know, buildings and statues and things about him, but he's nothing. No, he's alive. He's living. He's powerful. He's on the move. He's always been on the move. He's always been at work in the world. And that continues today. Somebody amen at that part. Okay. So that's God. Now you continue on here about Jesus in verse four. You just have to understand Jesus literally really did walk the earth in the form of a human being. He says in verse four, I was with you like with us on this earth. So even though he's God from eternity past, the God of glory, we sung about him a whole bunch this morning. He stepped into to our history in the form of a man. He was fully man and fully God during his time on earth. That's like a pfft. But that's the truth, right? That's what it is. He says, I was with you. Then in verse five, he says, now I'm going to him who sent me. He's talking about his ascension. Now, what we gotta do though is we gotta understand what happens in between there, in between the I was with you and now I'm going to him. Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins, right? We also sung about that a whole bunch this morning. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. That's why he came so that we could be set free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we, though we are sinful and unrighteous in and of ourselves, that could be wiped off the ledger and we could come into that relationship as new, changed, born again people and walk with the Lord. Yes, that is beautiful. Give him some thanks for that, actually. Yes. So Jesus died for that, but he also rose, right? It's not just that he died for our sin. He, in his resurrection, defeated our greatest enemy, death and sin. He rose up. He was untouchable. They could not keep him down. And so that's where our hope comes from. Since Jesus is alive, so we too will live who belong to him. And that's when, after that, this verse five comes in where Jesus says, now I'm going back to the father. I'm going to him who sent me. Jesus literally right now in this moment, is in heaven. He is alive and well. He's ruling and reigning. He is building his church. He is, is continuing his kingdom. He's not just some dead ancient myth. He's the living God. Amen? I'm telling you, this is good theology here. Come on now. So, Jesus dies, rises, ascends into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit was sent. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit part of the Godhead. He's fully, totally God, completely. He has always been around. He's not a new thing. But after the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was sent kind of in a new way, rather than just kind of being out there and occasionally kind of coming on to somebody to give them strength or something. Now what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us as Christians. So God isn't just out there somewhere. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has literally set up shop in you in your life. So you are never by yourself. The presence and the power of God is always with you wherever you go. That is pretty stinking cool, all right? If you ever hear somebody say theology is dumb, you can like, Ch -ch -ch -ch, 
issue or something nicer, but you can disagree with them because that's just the foundational truths about what we believe right there, right? So the Holy Spirit, he's called in our text, our helper. He helps us. If you're like me, you need lots of help, right? Good thing that someone did amen at that. Okay, thank you. Uh, He dwells in us as Christians. We talked about that. He's called the spirit of truth, right? So there is such thing as objective truth in this world and the Holy Spirit guides and reveals that to us. This is all super key, super, super important. Jesus even said it's to our advantage that, that Jesus himself goes away. And you think, well, why is that to our advantage? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit can then come. See, Jesus on his life on earth he could only really sort of be in one place at one time. Although, many months ago, we read one part in John about where Jesus kind of teleported somewhere. That was pretty cool. I longed to see that. But for the most part, he can only be in one place at one time. But now the Holy Spirit comes, and he's in Christians all over the place, all over the planet, all over the world. So that's why it's to our advantage that Jesus goes away. So let me just sum all that up. You were made by God and for God. God wants a relationship with you. He has a life for you. We have separated ourselves from him by our sin, but Jesus died to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and we could walk further and further into this relationship and into this life that he has for us. Making sense so far? Great. So let's get into our main, I didn't even the main thing of this text. Let's get into the main thing. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. That's what this text is primarily about. And if you've been following along with us for the last bunch of weeks, you'll know we've talked about the Holy Spirit a number of times already. And here he is again. And here we are talking about him again. You say, why is that? It's the very same reason why we repeat stuff to one another. It's the very same reason when you were a kid and you were going outside to play, your parents said, be careful. Look both ways when you cross the street. Like, yes, I know that. You've been telling me that for 30 years. Like, okay. (laughs) Right? Or or later, or or later you go out. Lori did this to me yesterday. I'm on the phone with her. Drive safe. Like, I've been driving for 15 years and a lot of time. And nobody make fun of me on my driving, okay? But, But the reason that's repeated... Or, or maybe you had a teacher that would say to you, make good choices. Like, yes, I know, I want to make good choices. It's because it's important. We need to go over this again because it's so vitally important. And I honestly, like, last week, we were kind of like working into a big crescendo. We're going somewhere. And all of a sudden, God sticks this right in here about the Holy Spirit just for us. It's almost like, wait, before you get going too far, remember, you got to talk about the Holy Spirit again. Remember, before you go any place, you got to talk about the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're doing today. And what I want to especially talk about is the role of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does lots of things. And I am not one to put him in a box. Good luck even trying to do that. But ultimately, high level, the role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. In everything that he does, that's the ultimate goal, is point people to Jesus. You see, uh, last week even, we just read it, John 15, 26, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bear witness about me. And in this week, like you see on the screen right here, 16, 14, 
He says, he will glorify me, Jesus says. He will point to me. He will make much of me. He'll make a big deal about me. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. When he works, when he moves, when he stirs, when he empowers, when he guides, it's all to lead us closer to Jesus, closer to that relationship with Jesus, because that's the essence of the life he wants us to live, okay? And so, in our text in John 14, there are two things that we see about how the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. They're both large, just large. The first one is this. How does the Holy Spirit point people to Jesus? Number one, it's through conviction. Say conviction. conviction. That is a word that generally has a negative connotation, right? And the dictionary definition of convict is to declare someone guilty of a crime or an offense. In other words, you did something wrong, you got caught, and now you're being called out for it. That's convict. And you're saying, wait, the Holy Spirit wants to convict me? God wants to convict me? He wants to do that? I thought God was all just love and flowery, and he'd never tell me to do, to, to do anything other than live my truth, and he'd never correct me, and actually, no, that God, if that's the God you're thinking of, he's actually a doormat. He's not really any God at all, okay? The God of the Bible, he will absolutely, absolutely convict you. He will absolutely call you out, call you to the carpet when you need to be called out. When you do something wrong, when you fail to do something right, when you generally just drift off course from him and you're not really walking with him, he'll absolutely convict you for that. Conviction, particularly from the Holy Spirit, I think it's, I was going to say regrettably, it's ultimately a good thing. I've had a lot of this in my life. A lot of times the Lord's got to correct the course. Conviction kind of feels like the heat is turned up onto you. Something, something happened, you did or whatever, and now it's just kind of burning in you. And ooh, like ooh, I don't like this feeling. The heat's on. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like a little dart that sticks into you. Not like a kill shot, but just like a little prick. Like here, you can't shake it. It just kind of, it kind of eats at you, makes you uncomfortable. Yes, God will absolutely make you uncomfortable. Let, let it just be known. Because when we are comfortable, we often don't pay attention to God. We often drift, we coast, we're just on cruise control, life is but a dream, and God is trying to get our attention. Pay attention to me, he says. That's what the conviction's for. Here's the bottom line. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is ultimately a super, super good thing. If you picture it in your mind as a bad thing, and I don't like the heat turned up onto me, when you are convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's ultimately super good because he's trying to get your attention now before you do something else or continue down the road you're on and do more damage and make things worse. It's like this. If you, for some reason, stuck your hand in the fire, just stuck it right in there, that's kind of a head scratcher. I don't know. You stick your hand in the fire or too close to the fire, it's not gonna take very long for your body to cause your hand to be kind of feeling some pain, right? And that is to get your attention. That's for you to say, this is not good for you. 
and you need to change course or you're going to do damage. Now, you have two choices when that comes along. You can take your hand out of the fire and go, oh, right. Or you can ignore it and leave it in there and do more damage. Well, that's your choice, right? Or it's like this. If you ever had a, how many of you have had a splinter in your hand? Or how many of you call it a sliver? I won't judge you. I'm a splinter guy. A splinter slash sliver in your hand. You might not even notice that you got it right away. But, but a few hours later or whatever the case, you start to feel it. Oh, something's just kind of not feeling so well there. It's kind of like got that like throbby thing going on that's super annoying. And you look at it and you go, oh, I have a splinter in my hand. Well, that's your body telling you there's something in here that doesn't belong. You got to get that out of there before it does more damage. It gets infected. It spreads. It does this whole thing. You can choose to foolishly leave it in there or you can take it out. But the conviction is there nonetheless. Do you see that? Conviction is a good thing. And it is not the same as condemnation. See, a lot of the time, we, we, we kind of blur the lines between the two. Well, God, oh, that's mean for God to convict me because he's... No, no, no. Here, conviction is never, never from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to beat you down. You've blown it. You've blown your last chance. You're done. Get out of here. You're gone. That's condemnation. That's, that's like a punishment. But the Holy Spirit, when he brings conviction, it's always an invitation, not a condemnation. See the difference there? Rather than write you off, he's calling you back. Hey, come to me. Let's deal with this thing. Totally different than condemnation. Condemnation is a reminder about how bad you are and how poorly you've performed. But conviction from the Holy Spirit is actually a reminder of how much you're loved by him. God actually would be super unloving not to convict you in your sin. Because you're going to hurt yourself. But because he loves you, he doesn't mind calling you to the carpet. Non-Christians can experience conviction from the Holy Spirit. Though they don't have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can work on them. There are people out there who aren't Christians that go, man, I just feel, the, I just feel this sense of, I'm not really sure what it is. I feel the heat. or this, this thing is gnawing at me. There must be something about God or there must be something more to life than this. We've probably all thought those things when we weren't Christians too. Well, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get their attention before it's too late. Hey, you need Jesus. You're gonna do damage to yourself. You're not living in step with, with the one that you're supposed to be in relationship with. And ultimately, if you go to the end of your life without him, you're gonna be condemned then. You're gonna go to hell then. It's a real place. That's conviction because he loves you. And Christians get convicted too as well. When you drift, when you do something dumb, when you sin, when you fail to do the right thing, the conviction comes so that you can actually deal with that thing and move on. That's love. I'm telling you, that's loving from God. Because God doesn't want us certainly to continue in our sin. But he also doesn't want us to just sweep it under the rug either. See, part of the conviction, God is inviting you, hey, don't just skirt around the issue here. Come to me. Be honest with me. Be open with me. I already know what you're doing anyway, right? Come to me, and this is where we'll actually start to get to the heart and the root of what's going on, and we'll actually start dealing with it. I love, there's a text, in, it's the book of 1 John. It says, if we confess our sins, 
If we just open and honest about our sins with the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. What, what you don't need when you're in a pattern of unrighteousness in your life is for God to turn the other shoulder and not pay attention. What you don't need is for God to just pat you on the head and say, oh, it's not that big a deal. What you need is to be cleansed. And God wants to do that in us. But it starts with acknowledging the conviction. So here, here's the point. The enemy will do the opposite. He'll try to condemn you. You've blown it, Braden. You're done. God, God will never take you back after this. And we just wear that and it bogs us down. But that ain't what conviction is. Condemnation from the enemy, that is like an anchor that's supposed to hold us down and cause us to sink. But conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit is actually a lifeboat that's sent to rescue us. Totally, totally not what Satan is doing. So if you are stuck this morning, if you're a Christian, let me just speak to you. If you're a Christian and you are caught in a pattern of guilt or shame and the enemy is just trying to rub your face into stuff that you did maybe long ago, but he's trying to just cause you to pick that back up again and feel bad about it and all this, I just need you to know that's not from God because that's not conviction, that's condemnation. Conviction is always an invitation, not a condemnation. We good there so far? What this says specifically though in verse 8 of John 16, is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict who? The world. Somebody say the world. When you see that term, the world, oftentimes in Scripture, that's talking about non-Christians. That's talking about unbelievers. So directly, what Jesus is saying here is that part of the role of the Holy Spirit is he's going to come and he's going to convict the world, non-Christians. And I would say this. I'll just remind you again. It's an invitation. It's not get out of here. It's come to me. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll talk about these. When he convicts the world about sin. So, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit and non-Christians. When the Holy Spirit is stirring in someone who doesn't know Jesus, and he's knocking on their door, and he's trying to get their attention, one of the reasons he's doing that is because of sin. So you need to understand that we all have sinned. We have all chosen to walk away from and to rebel against God. Our sin is imperfection. God is perfect. It separates us from God. And ultimately, all, all sin is bad. But look what he says here. I'm going to convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in me. So ultimately, the sin that does people in, they're all bad, but the sin ultimately that does people in is unbelief. Because God will forgive any sin. You can have a long laundry list of all the things you could possibly get wrong, and God will and can and wants to forgive you from all of those things. Even the really bad things I've done, Braden? Yeah, even those things. Maybe especially those things. But ultimately, if we go through this life and we never believe, we never trust, we never accept, we never surrender, we never repent of our sins, we never, we never accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we just walk in that unbelief, we're gonna die in our sin. That's what this is saying. And it's a hard word, but it's the truth. He's gonna convict the world also concerning righteousness. Part of the Holy Spirit convicting you is, hey, if you're not a Christian, you in and of yourself, you are not right with God. You were made to walk in this relationship with him. 
But it says in the Bible, we need holiness to see the Lord. We can't just waltz into his presence because we're unclean, we're unrighteous, we're unworthy. Now he loves you. We already talked about this. He sent Jesus to die for you. And one of the things Jesus did on the cross is that he took our sin to give us his righteousness. He wants to credit us with his righteousness. So we are not righteous. We don't deserve to be in God's presence, but Jesus is righteous. He never sinned. And he wants his righteousness to to be counted to us, to cover us. So even as a Christian, right, we don't have a high horse to sit on about righteousness. We were unrighteous too. The only reason we're counted as righteous now is because Jesus has declared us to be because he's righteous. Make sense? So for non-Christians, you owe a debt You are not right before God. The wages of sin is death. You literally will pay for your sin with your life. Your bill is stamped with unpaid and unrighteous. And if you never believe in and turn to and surrender to Jesus, you will continue in that unrighteous state and you will be condemned in the end. God doesn't want that for you. That's part of the Holy Spirit's conviction. He doesn't want that for you. He will also convict the world concerning judgment. Part of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to to poke at you and say, hey, if nothing is done in your life, non-Christian, you're gonna die one day and you're gonna go and stand before God and you will be judged and you will be judged guilty. Doesn't matter if you're a good person. Doesn't matter if you've done more good than bad. Doesn't matter if you're religious in some way. If you don't belong to Jesus, you are in line for the judgment. And he says, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world, he's referring to Satan. Satan stands condemned. Satan is going to lose. Satan is not going to win. The battle was already decided at the cross and at the empty tomb. Satan stands condemned. And anyone that does not belong to Jesus is on Satan's team. That sounds harsh to say, but it's the truth. That's the jersey you're wearing. And you, if you don't belong to Jesus, you will be judged with him. With Satan, God does not want that for you. God has a life for you. That's why the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you. So again, if you're hearing this and you're not a Christian, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never aligned yourself to him, if you have ever felt that twinge of, oh man, there there must be more. I, I just feel like I gotta investigate this God thing. What is my purpose in life? Why am I even here? Why am I feeling so empty? All of that is the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention because you are not on a good course. You are not on a good road. And he wants to convict you and bring you onto the good road. He wants you to be saved in Jesus Christ. Let it just be known today. Now again, if you are a Christian, most of us in the room, we're Christians. If you're feeling convicted in your life today, again, it's a good thing. God loves you. He's trying to get your attention. My advice to you, lean into the conviction. Don't try to hide it. Don't say, oh, I'll just tough it up and that pain will go away, that that heat will die down. Lean into it because that's where your issues are gonna get dealt with. Run after Jesus. Don't run from him. We need the conviction. It's an invitation to draw closer to God. We good on conviction? Let's talk about the other thing here. I need a drink first. The second thing we see in John 16 about how the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, he guides us into all the truth. Guides us into all the truth. It says in verse 13 of our text, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
I said it already, I'll say it again. There is definitely such a thing as objective truth. It's not live your truth and I'll live mine and they're slightly different or maybe yours is way over here, but they're all equally valid. No, 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 no. There is truth in this life and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth comes to guide us to Jesus. So first of all, first of all, again, for non-Christians, the Holy Spirit convicting you, he's doing so to guide you to the truth of salvation and your need to be saved. That's of paramount importance. It's great if you go to church. It's great if you do good things. It's great if you're a nice person. All that's great. But you need Jesus first and foremost. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to lead you to, the truth of your need to be saved. But as Christians, let's be honest. We got no high horse or pedestal to sit on because even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, longer than that, I don't know, you still need to grow. There is still more truth for the Holy Spirit to guide you into. You have not arrived. You do not know it all. And even if you did know it all, you don't do it right all the time, okay? I love you, but it's the truth, right? The Holy Spirit, like there's always more of Jesus to discover, and he's trying to lead us to that. There's always more of God's word. He's trying to lead us to that. There's always more to know about God's character and God's love and, and the purpose that we have in our lives, and there's always more peace to know and joy and hope to know, and the Holy Spirit is guiding us to those things in Christ, which is awesome, and by the way, when I'm talking about there's more of this and that and this and that to know, the goal is not just head knowledge. God doesn't want you just to know stuff. God wants you to apply it to your life and to live it out and model it for others. Don't just be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. We got lots of work to do on that. All of us do. But it's the truth. Yes, give him some thanks. Cool. Why not? So we, like, we desperately need the Holy Spirit is what I'm saying. And I know it's because I've done this. It's easy to just go, oh, we forget about him. Thank you, Jesus. Cool. I'm saved. All that. But, but if we neglect the Holy Spirit, if we don't ask to be filled with the Spirit, man, we're missing out. He's trying to do a work in us. And, and let it not be the case that we hamper the Holy Spirit from doing a work in us as church, right? We need that. We need him. So he, he helps us understand God. He helps us understand the word, apply the word. He helps us in prayer. The scriptures talk about that. He helps empower us for ministry. He actually gives us spiritual gifts, which is awesome. We should talk about those sometime. He, he convicts us when we get off track. It's all good. It's all the Holy Spirit guiding us toward Jesus, to the truth of this life that Jesus has for us. Part of this too, I'll just make mention of this. This is kind of another sermon for another day. But part of this even involves stuff in the future that hasn't even happened yet. Part of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth. He, he's leading us, because he's God, right? He knows what's coming down the road. And he's guiding us into the truth of that. That would be like if you went to a city that you weren't familiar with. And maybe you know someone in town or whatever. And they say, let's, let's go to this place. You say, well, I don't know how to get there. They say, okay, just pull over on the side of the road. I'll come to you and you can follow me because I know where to go. And right, we've all done that. And, and they pull out and you pull out behind them and you're trying to like not get stuck at a red light that they get through and you don't. The Holy Spirit knows where he's going. He knows where he's trying to lead you and he's trying to guide us along as we follow him. But it's more than that too. Look what it says in verse 13. 
when he comes, when he's guiding us into all truth, it says he will declare the things to you that are yet to come. So that's getting into the whole thing of like prophecy and, and all of that stuff, which I'd love to talk about someday, but, but that's part of our walk. That's part of knowing the truth. Sometimes God will give you an image or a picture or, or, or something in your mind of something that's coming, something that's in his will, something to work toward. And that's awesome. That's just the Holy Spirit at work, which is great. We'll talk about that another day. But the point is this. We need to be a people of the truth. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us to that. Who Jesus is, the life that he has for us, the things he wants us to do, how we're to live it out day by day. We need the Holy Spirit. Desperately need the Holy Spirit. So with that, it's kind of where I want us to, to wrap up into this today. Very simple. The Holy Spirit is working to point us to Jesus. Whether you're a Christian yet or not, he's trying to lead us in the same direction, to Jesus. He is trying to lead us deeper into the reality of who Jesus is, which we need. He's trying to lead us deeper in our relationship with Jesus, which we need. He's trying to lead us deeper into his love, deeper into his will. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the bottom line. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the conviction that he brings. We desperately need it. We need him to guide us into the truth, into the reality of this life he has for us. We need it. We need to not just keep the Holy Spirit as a distant over there thing or maybe talk about him on Sunday now and again. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And I'll refer back to a few weeks ago. Like we've talked about how all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. You'll be for, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's great. And if you're not a Christian, like start there. You need Jesus, you'll be, you'll be given the Spirit, awesome. But for us as Christians, let it not just stop there. Yeah, I have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but are you filled with the Spirit? We've talked about all that, but I'm bringing us right back to it again today. We cannot go further without him. We cannot, if we're gonna advance and, and, and go further into his will and live the lives he has for each of us, if we're gonna be the church that he wants us to be, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And the great news about that, it doesn't start by us paying a big fee. It doesn't start with us all taking a class. It doesn't start with us all memorizing the Bible front to back. It doesn't start with us being some super Christians, elite, upper Christ. It doesn't start with any of that. It starts with a humbling of ourselves. It starts with saying, you know what? Lord, I need you. I need to be filled with the Spirit. You humble yourself before God and you ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me? That's where it starts. And, and this can happen and this needs to happen for each of us. So this isn't just for a few. We all need to be filled with the Spirit. So how I want to end this is we're going to just open ourselves up to him. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And as we respond to this word and this invitation, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But the ball is in your court, each of our courts. If you want to roll on according to God's will in your life. Just ask him today from your seat. Holy Spirit, come and fill me.